so one of the things that we like to do on Simplify Sundays or Maybe a, better, maybe a better word for that is Family Sunday or something like that. I like that a little bit better. Maybe Family Sundays. Um, one of the things that we like to do um, before we start in our teaching time going through the Word is we like to um, just see if any of you have a word, maybe something um, that you feel like you want to praise God for, maybe something you just want to draw attention to that God's done in your life this week. Um, so we'll, we'll open the floor. We won't... Uh, belabor it or draw it out or anything like that, but if you have anything that you want to praise God for this morning, we'll definitely give you the opportunity to do that. Good deal. Got a new job. That's right. We love new jobs, especially if the old ones had the schedule like yours had. That's good. Maybe somebody else? That's right. Praise God. That's cool. We love looking at your face, Caleb. We love having you here. <laughs> Maybe somebody else. Maybe somebody want to say something about how students gathering went last night, students game night. Somebody? That's awesome. We'll go high. We'll say 16. Maybe 20. He didn't get a good count, so it might have been 20. <laughs> 30, somewhere. The number just goes up. That's awesome. We're so glad. This is, um, this is the first thing we've ever done with students last night. And so just kind of testing the waters, putting our feet in the water just a little bit. And um, I think 16 is a really good start. So thankful to Adam for hosting that and uh, for putting it on. And then thankful to, for the walkers for hosting that. Really, really um, appreciate you guys doing that. Awesome. One more. Anybody else? Awesome. Yeah, that's great. We love good diagnosis. That's awesome. Well, thank you guys for doing that. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts will be in Acts chapter 20. And we've been in the book of Acts for the better half of this year. Um, almost the entire year that we've been going through this book. And uh, what an amazing, um, amazing, amazing book for us to look at. And um, not necessarily get a guide for how to be a church plant, but to see how the Holy Spirit works and how the Holy Spirit moved in the early church and to see how um, this the Holy Spirit was changing lives, giving people, um, giving them grace and bringing them into this one big family. And as I think about Acts chapter 20, it kind of reminds me um, about a time not so long ago. It was about 2 a.m. in the morning. And I remember that this was probably, it, it's crazy how you remember specific things in life. It was, the date was January 4th of 2018. And I just watched uh, Georgia, I believe Georgia lost to Oklahoma, no, actually Georgia beat Oklahoma, but Clemson lost. And so I went to bed really, really happy, um, as I normally do whenever Clemson loses. I, I feel like, man, this is going to be a great year. They had just lost 
I was getting ready to go to bed, and we finally fell asleep. 2 a.m., I remember waking up to my wife just pushing me, like pushing me. She says, the alarm's off, the alarm's off, the alarm's off. And you know how that goes at 2 a.m., I'm thinking to myself, I'm just trying to like collect my thoughts, like, oh my gosh, like it's 2 a.m., that's prime time. There probably is somebody breaking into the house. And I, I was barely awake. She was awake. She was the first one that heard it. I could sleep through a hurricane. And uh, so I did what any self-respecting man would do. I threw her out in the hallway to go check out what was going on. And I locked the door and I kind of hid. Um, I'm totally kidding. I didn't do that. But I did lock the door as fast as I probably could. And I told her, I was like, listen, just hide. Just hide behind the bed. Get in the closet. Whatever you need to do, just hide. And I remember barricading myself up against the door like as hard as I possibly could. Um, we do have a good alarm system. So ADT was on the phone immediately. And they said, do you need us to send cops? And, well, you know, I'm not going to go and check on what was going on out there. So I just said, yes, absolutely, send the cops. Uh, I'm embarrassed to tell the story. And so I'm just standing there as they are sending the cops, ADTs off the phone. And they said, yes, absolutely, we'll send them. I, I just remember, like, barricading myself in. My wife's in the background. Like, this is it. Like, this is it. Like, this is, we've, we've had a good life. They're going to kill us. And you know, in those moments, like you just hear everything. And I, I made out in my mind, like there was like three of them. There's got to be at least three of them behind this door. Like it's it. Like I was looking for something in the room, anything to like hit them with or use something. And all we found was like a shoe. Worst, like worst possible thing. Finally, the cops show up. They show up to my house and they search the entire property. They go through all the bushes. They go through everything, and there's absolutely nobody there. Um, we finally determined that uh, we had just not locked one door fully, and the air cut on, and it knocked the door open. Um, probably the best part of the story, though, is that one of the, one of the officers from GCPD, we, we love those guys, um, he, he showed up you know, really, really quickly. Whenever they were searching, they had come to my garage now, for those of you who know, this is right around the time that we were getting ready to launch, so I had a bunch of equipment in my garage. I had opened up a lot of boxes, and there was a ton of, like, the thick bubble wrap on my garage floor. And so the cop is checking in the garage. He accidentally steps on this big bubble wrap, and I'm telling you, like, he went for his holster because he was scared to death. I was scared to death. Like, he was scared to death. Terrible moment. I finally, like I, I promise you, I finally got to bed around 4 a.m. that night. It was probably about a two to three hour ordeal. Now I probably went to bed at about 4, and then I promise you at 9 a.m. I was the proud owner of a Savage Stevens 12-gauge. Um, and so it's there at my house now. So um, like if you try to break in these days, like I'm not just going to barricade myself in. Um, but we actually have a kid these days, and so if you break into our house these days, you have to deal with me in a 12-gauge, and you have to deal with my wife and her bare hands, um, because I, I, I'm pretty sure that if her coming after you with bare hands is going to be a lot worse than me coming after you with a 12-gauge, so just don't even try to break in on our house these days. But here's the thing, um, we protect the things that we love, right? We protect the things that we love. We have this deep sense within our hearts, especially those of you who are moms. 
um, and, and dads, you have this deep sense within you, this longing that I'm going to protect what is mine. I'm going to protect the ones that I love and nothing, absolutely nothing is going to harm my babies or nothing is going to harm my wife or harm my husband. Nothing, absolutely nothing is, is going to harm them. We, ha- we, we put on this sense of protection, right? We want to protect what is ours. And this morning, um, Paul, as he is with the church at Ephesus, he's going to look at the church leaders there in Ephesus and he's going to tell them, you need to be on guard You need to protect yourselves. Protect yourselves at all costs. Protect the ones that you love. But here's the thing that Paul is talking about, that he's getting ready to tell the church leaders here at Ephesus. He's not telling them to protect themselves from any physical threat or any physical harm, although that was there present. What Paul tells the church to protect themselves against is from people who will come inside the church believing wrong things and false teachers. Paul tells the church at Ephesus to protect themselves from outsiders who come into the church, disguise themselves and act like they're a part of the family, talk like they're a part of the family, sing like they're a part of the family, and in the end just really want to break the family up. And so Paul says to protect yourselves and be on guard, be on guard from those who are on the outside And even though we're here in this city of Ephesus, as we're going to see, what we see is that there's a city that just a few weeks ago we talked about that really wanted to put Paul to death. They wanted him dead. And so we're talking about like real persecution, real persecution. He kind of steps in on the scene and he starts sharing the gospel. Many people come to faith in Christ, and as they come to faith in Christ, they are burning up their idols. They're, they're bringing all the things that they used to follow, the, the sorcery and the magician's book. They burn them all up, and so much that the idol makers, the idol makers, they hate Paul, and they want to they have him dead. So they, they have this big mob out in the major city of Ephesus. They have this big mob out there, and, and Really what they're trying to do is they're trying to snatch Paul. They're trying to snatch any followers of Christianity so that they could kill them because they believe that if you can kill Paul, then the movement's over. If we can get our hands on Paul and a few of his buddies, the followers, then the movement's over. And you see, here's the thing. That our enemy wants to do that. Our enemy sends persecution, physical persecution around the world. This morning around the world there are men, women, and children that are undergoing physical persecution. We have friends and missionaries that we've sent to these places. But just as dangerous, just as dangerous as it is for outsiders to physically attack, it's equally dangerous for those on the inside to come in with trickery, with deception, with false teaching. It's just as deadly. It's just as deadly. So what do we do? And how can we be on guard? Look with me in Acts 20. We're going to start in verse 17. Unfortunately, we don't have a screen for the words to be up there, but hopefully you can find on your phone or a Bible right over there. We'd love to give that to you. It's yours if you want it. Acts 20, 17. This is from the ESV. 
He says, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So remember, it's hostile. They want him dead. He says, I'm, I'm on this path. I'm getting ready to go to Jerusalem. I'm not going to go back through Ephesus because I know that if I go back through Ephesus, it will probably end badly for me there. And this is not where God's calling me to go. My ministry is further on down the road. And so what he does is he calls all of the church leaders from Ephesus to come and meet him in this place called Miletus. And so if you can imagine, you've got Paul and the leaders or the elders um, that's another word for church leader. I, I used to think about that whenever I was a kid. It's just a bunch of old men that look like Gandalf. Like, that's not exactly what's happening here. Uh, Lord of the Rings reference for those of you who don't know that. Um, but he's got all the leaders of the church there. And when they came to them, he said this to them. He says, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. How I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching to you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God of faith and, and of our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. In verse 22, he says, And now... Behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. He says, I'm this missionary, I'm this church planner, I'm entering in in every city, and I don't know what's going to happen to me except this, that whenever I enter, I know that persecution is before me. I know that much. Uh, they're going to try and ban me in chains. They're going to throw me in prison. Afflictions, they await me. Verse 24, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only this, that I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Let me read that to you again. This is the ministry of Paul. But I do not account my life of any value. My body, my flesh, it's nothing. But only that I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. If I live, it's for Christ. If I die, it is for Christ. My body, it absolutely means nothing to me. The ministry cannot stop. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. You will not see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I, I told you everything. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, he says that fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, 
be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He says that I I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and they kissed him and being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Would you guys pray with me? Father, we pray this morning that uh, you would open our hearts and our minds to understand this. Um, Just because we have never maybe seen or dealt with false teaching here, just because we've never seen or dealt with that maybe at other church. Um, Lord, there are churches all over the country this morning that are dealing with it. There are, country, uh, there are churches all over the country this morning that, that used to be lively, that used to be vibrant, but because of wolves in sheep clothing, or they're teeter-tottering and may not make it. Lord, help us to be vigilant this morning. Help us to understand that our enemy will do absolutely whatever he can possibly do to break up your church to stomp out a movement. He'll do it. And so we heed the words of Paul this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're specifically going to focus on those verses this morning, 17 through 38. And um, listen, he is addressing this to the elders of the church. He is addressing this to the leaders. Um, But I don't think this morning that we should uh, read that and think, okay, well, he's just talking to the leaders of the church. So really, he's just talking about more like David or anybody else, like Ryan, who might be leaders of the church. Listen, that's the equivalent uh, of having your house and, and saying to your, to your kids, listen, at any moment somebody could break in, but if you see something, don't say anything, like don't worry about it. You know, well, that's not exactly what we say, is it? We say to our kids, if you see something, say something. Be vigilant. Always watch out. If you see somebody behind the bushes, you tell mom and dad. You let us know. Like, you have a part to play in this. And surely the, the people there, the, the followers, the sheep, um, the flock, the people of the church, they had a role to play in spotting false teachers. They had a role to play in, fought, in, in spotting out the, the wolves. And so we have a role to play here, a very significant role to play. And I want to just point out two things that he says here. Look in verse, 20, uh, verse 28. He starts right there and he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves. Pay careful attention to yourselves. This is the first thing that he says. Pay careful attention. Be alert. Be on guard. Watch out. But he first says, watch out for yourself. Watch out for the things that you believe. Watch out for the things that, that you do. 
Now, what exactly does that mean? What exactly is he talking about here? Pay attention. Pay attention is kind of like this warlike mindset, right? It's not like everything is at peace. It's not like there's this peaceful time that we can drop our guards, that we can, you know, that we can just kind of not pay attention and, and kind of go on our merry way. He says pay attention like it's this warlike mentality. In war, I don't have, I've never been to war, but what I hear and what I see in the movies is that as you're out in battle, if you hear like a twig snap, you're, you're on guard, right? You're alert. You're ready to go. Any explosion, anything that happens, like watching out for tripwires, watching out for, for bombs that are hidden in the ground, be alert. That's what he says. Pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention to what you believe. Pay attention to what you believe about God. Always be sharp. Pay attention to what you believe about salvation. Because these were the things that were entering into the church at Ephesus that were causing much division. These were the things that Paul was talking about. He's not talking about somebody that comes in there, you know, that's real flashy and tries to divert everybody with, you know, he's not going to stand up and, and say things out loud for everybody to hear and for everybody to follow. But it's little small things. Small things over time that just chip away. Is it really? Will we get to heaven by faith in Christ alone? Are you sure that our works have absolutely nothing to do with that? Many of these folks were uh, former Jewish people that had just converted into Christianity. And these were some of the things that they were saying. Many of these people were polytheists. They used to believe in many gods. We studied that last time, two weeks ago. We, we looked and we, we heard how many of them, they worshipped idols. And I'm sure that from time to time, believing in Jesus became something that they probably just grew tired of. Remember the temple of Artemis, where we used to go to this grand, extravagant temple, where we used to walk in and there was adornment and we get to go and there was all these sacrifices to this idol and here we are now we're just kind of meeting in these homes and it's really really hard and man we used to have it so nice we used to have all this glory in this nice extravagant temple so what he says is he says pay attention pay attention to yourselves pay attention to the things that you believe pay attention to your theology pay attention to what is taught if I came up on a Sunday morning and I said something that was biblically inerrant, or biblically errant, would you notice? Would you be able to spot and say, ooh, hey man, that's wrong. Like, that's not exactly what we say. That's not exactly what the scriptures say. If one of your missional community leaders were to say that in the middle of a group, would you be able to spot that? Would you be able to say, that's not true? But you see, that's not the only way that we protect ourselves. That's not the only way that we pay attention to ourselves. One of the other ways that we pay attention to ourselves is we pay attention to what, what fil filters into our lives, what filters into our homes, what happens whenever we're at home, what happens whenever we turn on the TV, what happens whenever we turn on the radio, what happens whenever we scroll through our phones, right? Just pay attention. Pay attention to yourselves. Pay attention 
to what happens to you. These pagans that he's writing this letter to, the, or the pagans that he writes the letter to in, in Ephesus or in Ephesians, the people that he's talking about, they just came out of a very, very toxic, very wicked city. Very wicked. You don't think that from time to time as they're getting together with their brothers in Christ that they miss the old times that they were drunk and running out in the streets? You don't think that from time to time they would grow tired of having one wife? You don't think from time to time they would not grow tired of worshiping one God rather than the creative and the artsy 40,000 that they used to worship? I'm sure that from time to time they grew this way. And so Paul says to them, pay attention, be sharp. Be sharp. Uh, one of our, our friends that used to live here, uh, the missionary family that we sent out just a couple months ago, <clears throat> he would tell these stories about whenever they were in China. And at first, he would meet people who would just be the nicest people you had ever met. Like they spoke the language. And um, even today, where they are today, um, they're in this place that it's pretty much against, um, it's against the rules to be a follower of Jesus. And the government has spies all throughout the country. And the way that they approach you is they approach you and, and they kind of ask you, hey, are you a Christian? I'm just looking for some other Christians to worship with. Hey, are you a Christian? I'm looking for, for family members that we can get together and, and study the Bible with together. And sure enough, whenever you do that, they report you to the local authorities, but they don't approach you like these government authority figures with, with guns and with these army outfits or anything like that, they approach you with normal clothes and they approach you with the common language and they approach you with just a little bit of biblical knowledge enough to be dangerous. And so they sneak in that way and many, many, many Christians have been reported that way in, in the government there. He says, so watch out for false prophets. But that's not all that he says pay attention to, is it? Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to who? And to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church which he obtained with his own blood. Hopefully you get a sense here that Paul, he's, he's getting the family together, right? He's getting the family together. You understand that this is a, this is a family-like scene. And right before he gets ready to leave, he's on his knees and he's crying. And they're crying. Like this is this moment in time where you're losing a family member. You know that they're moving away forever. And his heart is breaking at the thought of what could happen. His heart is breaking at the thought of what might be. And so he says to the elders there, he says to the leaders, he says, please, please, please. He says, pay attention to the flock. Pay attention to the body. Pay attention to the people that you worship with. Pay attention to the folks that are with you, that, that are there with you in the trenches. Pay attention to the folks that you go to church with. Pay attention with them. You see, a lot of us, we're really good at pay attention and paying attention to ourselves. We know everything that we're weak at. We know the things that we're strong at. We know that if Satan's going to tempt us or if the flesh is going to tempt us, we know where we're weak. But whenever it comes to our other brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe we're a little bit of an, on an island. 
because we're not so much like a family, or maybe we're like a family, but not a healthy one. And so Paul says, pay attention to the others, pay attention to the other sheep. And he's not saying pay attention in like a gossipy way, right? Like a gossipy way. I I remember whenever I was growing up, and man, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say this. We had one of those things called a prayer chain. How many of you know what a prayer chain is? Like, get get it on the horn, baby. So-and-so's in the hospital, you need to know this, and so it, it gets, you know, you pick up the phone, you call the next person, the next person calls the next person, the next calls the person calls the, the next person so that you can pray, right, so that you can pray for the individual, and generally what happens is, okay, thank you for the information, click, you know, it's just kind of like this gossip chain or something like that, um, maybe we should start one of those, I don't know. But the church is really, really, really good at gossiping, are we, are we good, are we healthy, whenever it comes to really knowing the burdens and caring for the burdens of somebody else in the body. We're really good at knowing, oh, they got this going on, they got that going on at their family, there's this happening. But does it grieve us? Does it break our hearts whenever we know that one of our families is going through turmoil? Does it hurt us? Does it stop us in our tracks? We're just like, oh man, they're good. They're fine. You see, disaster and destruction, chaos in a family, um, that's one of the ways that our enemy steps in. Well, they never called. They never, they never thought about me. They never reached out. You see, here's what I know about war, too. I know what I know about soldiers, that whenever you get a good group and they love one another, they never leave a man behind. Do we have that philosophy here that we can't leave anyone behind? You see, if we protect the ones that we love, we will protect each other. We will protect each other. What I want to do this morning is I want to take just a few minutes and I want us to, uh, remember it's Family Sunday, right? We get to pull back the layers a little bit. We get to just be one. I I want to take just an opportunity for us to do a little bit of an assessment um, so if you have something to write with, if you have uh, a journal, I'm just going to ask you just a few questions. You can pull out your phone, whatever it is. I'm just going to ask you just a few questions to gauge where you are this morning in terms of, first of all, paying attention to yourself, but also paying attention to the needs of the body. And we are really close, so I will see if you don't have a phone out or anything Um, And I will just call you out, and we are recording so the whole world will see it and hear it. I will. I will call you on the phone (laughs) and then tell everybody else how they went. Lamar was a three. No, I'm just kidding. So one being low, ten being really high. One being low, ten being really high, five being somewhere close to seldom. Here's the first one. I am confident in my understanding of Jesus, and I have made Jesus the king of my life. The king. The king of my life, not just the, you know, the one that I have a mental assent to. I believe that there's a Jesus. I believe that there's a God. But I have actively made Jesus the Lord and the king of my life. One through ten. The second one. I understand what it means to be a follower or a disciple of Jesus. 
in essence, I know what Jesus wants from me. One being probably not, ten being, yeah, fully understand. Here's the third one. I am confident in my ability to read and understand the Bible. I know how to hear from God on my own. Let me say that again. I am confident in my ability to read the Bible and understand the Bible. I know how to hear from God on my own. Number four, I am confident in knowing what I believe about God, Jesus, and how to be saved. I'm pretty confident. Yeah, I know Jesus. I know what I know about Jesus. I'm comfortable in what I believe about God. I'm comfortable in what I know about how to be saved. All right, for those of you who have been in church your entire life, Great. I'm sure you did awesome on that. Let's get through the next ones. Here's number four. Number five, I'm sorry. I have at least one friend, not my spouse or significant other, who holds me accountable and speaks the truth in love when I mess up. One through ten. Not a yes or no. Reality check. I have at least one friend, not my spouse or significant other, who holds me accountable, who speaks the truth in love when I mess up. Number six, I feel ownership for the people around me. And I feel a sense of urgency over their beliefs and their spiritual well-being. Now, if you're a guest this morning, obviously... You know, hopefully you do care a little bit, but um, if you're not, this is not your church family, just picture your church family there. I feel ownership for the people around me, and I feel a sense of urgency over their beliefs and their spiritual well-being. Urgency being the key word there. All right, last one. I know the struggles, the fears and well-being of at least one person around me that is not my spouse or significant other. Let me say that again. I know the struggles, the fears, and the well-being, spiritual well-being, physical, of at least one person around me that is not my wife or husband or significant other. You guys got it? Where'd you score high? If I had to guess, I would be willing to bet that many of you scored high in the first couple, the first three, um, but whenever it comes to the last, probably pretty low, um, if I had to guess. So what I'm going to challenge you to do is I'm going to challenge you to potentially break through that and maybe find a friend, find an accountability partner here at Creekside. And that doesn't start easy. That starts through prayer. You have to pray for that. You have to pray for that relationship. Listen, I'm not going to allow just anybody to sit and hear my baggage about what's going on in my life. 
It has to be a special relationship. It has to be something that's prayed through. It has to be something that is um, that you really, really trust that individual. Listen, I want that for your life, and I hope that you want that for your life too. We need that here at our church, and so I just challenge you to pray through that. And maybe it starts with it starts with prayer, but maybe the next step is is going out for for lunch, going out for coffee. Maybe going out after church one Sunday to, to see if that person could really be a friend for you. So growing in terms of paying attention to others. Flip with me to, to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. This is coming... A little bit fast forward, right? We're going to fast forward to just about the end. We're going to see where Jesus is writing a letter to all the different churches. He's writing a letter to them and he's basically giving them some sort of a report card. This is how you did, you passed, you failed, this or that. Look at Revelation chapter 2. This is the church at Ephesus, the ones that we just read about. Let's see how those elders did. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, he says, write these words. He says, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, he says, say say this, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. Listen to this. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you have tested with those who call themselves apostles and are not and you have found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently, and you are bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So did they pass or did they fail? They passed. Now one of the things that the church at Ephesus did really well was they knew the truth, and they knew who was not speaking the truth. They knew outsiders when they saw them. They knew the sheeps, or the wolves in sheep's clothing, and they knew how to spot on them. And one of the very things that Jesus himself is going to speak to the church at Ephesus is well done in guarding the truth. Well done in protecting the family. Is that something that Jesus is going to be able to say to us? the end? Is this something that we will get right? That we will know the difference between good good teaching, true teaching, and false teaching? That we will know the difference between what a healthy family looks like and what an unhealthy family in terms of church looks like? Wouldn't it be great if at the end, when Creekside Church is winding up, we knew one of the things that we did get right, we might have failed at a bunch of things, but we never contaminated with the truth. That we never let anybody in this room right now or our brothers and sisters who aren't here this morning, that we never let them fall to the wayside believing in things that were not true. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and God, we just want to heed the word of the Apostle Paul, as he's sharing the word here, and as he's gathered the family around, I'm sure 
that many, 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 many false teachers came and they tried to break up the church at Ephesus. They had, they had battled against the physical attacks and the persecution on the outside. And I'm sure that they just as much battled persecution and the wolves and the false teachers on the inside of the church. This morning, God, I pray that you would show us and just hold us accountable for the moments and times where we dabble in things that are not true, where we let our study of the word fall to the wayside, where we become complacent in our study of the Bible. Those wolves, they never step in and they look like wolves. They never do. Do we know what we believe? Can we, can we hold those things with confidence? Can we say with assurance that we're doing the church family thing right, that we know at least one other person in this room who might be struggling with sin or addiction or shortcomings or anxiety and we just might have the experience, we just might have whatever it takes to stop them from going off the edge, from falling away, from jumping off the deep and we just might have the answer. But because of personality or time, busyness, schedules, whatever it is, we allow those things to get in the way. God, would you help us to see that this is oh so important? Help us to break down the walls that we keep up. The walls of comfort, of busyness, of thinking that they just won't like me or I couldn't be a good friend. They couldn't handle all my junk. Whatever it is us to knock those walls down. Protect us, God, from false teaching and things that aren't true. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. And this is a really good time for our church to come together and be family and do just what we read in the beginning that early church that came together, they broke bread together, they bared one another's burdens. And so we're going to do that this morning. I'm just going to ask if you're on this side, if you would kind of go out this way, if you're on this side, go out this way and kind of all circle back. And Before we do, I don't want us to take of it unworthily. And Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians, that we can take of it unworthily whenever we don't confess sin that's in our lives and in our hearts. And so we just want to give you a moment to, to do that right where you're seated Ryan and McCray are going to play for just a few minutes. And we want you to confess sin. Maybe you have a relationship in the room this morning that is hindering you, that you haven't got right. Maybe you've got something on your chest that you know good and well. You don't need to be taking a Lord's Supper without confessing that or making that right with another brother. So we're just going to ask that you would do that, confess sin. You'd come to the table, that you'd come back to your seat. We're all going to take of it together as one big family. Okay.
1 Corinthians 11. Society's Paul, again, giving instructions to the church at Corinth on how to receive and how to take of the Lord's Supper. And this is what he says in verse 23. He says, For I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he says, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.